Right, it's a big subject, the Holy Spirit, and we can't cover all of it. In fact, I've probably got too much on my plate as it is. Um, I want to start by thinking about God and the purpose of God. <clears throat> God's purpose is with men and women. Um, he made the world around us for us to live in created the first human pair, put them in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And really, all of God's created works are all for us. His purpose is with men and women, and in particular with men and women's hearts and minds. God wants us to know him. He wants us to love him, to obey him. In fact, in short, he wants us to become like him. That's his purpose. That's the very reason he created men and women on the earth in the first place. That he might teach them, that he might develop them uh, into people who are like himself in their character. Um, good people. And therefore, God needs to teach them. And God has given mankind, he's given man in particular, as opposed to the animals, a capacity to understand, a capacity to reason, to develop a character, to, to do what we're doing now really, which is talk and think about fairly abstract concepts really, which you cannot do with even the most intelligent animal in the rest of his created world. Man is unique. When I say man, I mean men and women, obviously. So man is unique and God has made him a unique creature. In fact, when he made him in the first place, he said, he, uh, let us make man in our own image. Man is in the image of God, which I believe is a physical thing, but more importantly, he is in the image of God in his capacity to develop in a his character and his mind to develop the mind of man. So the, man, the mind of man is an amazing thing, incredible. Um, so that's, that's what God is about and that's what he wants to do with human beings. And how is he going to do that? Well, God, if God wants to influence us in our minds, how does he do it? Well, how does anybody influence anybody else? If I want to influence your thinking, I must speak to you using words, language that you understand. And that's what we're doing now. Well, God does the same. God wants to influence men and women and he simply uses words to do it. Therefore, the words of God are absolutely fundamental and essential to his purpose. If he wants to influence us, he must speak to us, and he has. Therefore, the God who we worship, the one and only, the true God, is a God of revelation. He's a God who's spoken. Um, and in fact, we have a passage here. Um, look at that, Hebrews chapter 1. That's a very famous passage there. God has spoken. That's basically what it says. He's spoken in the past. He's spoken by his son. And the words that he has used when he has spoken, a lot of those words we have recorded here in our Bibles. God wants them to teach us. He wants to teach us 
intelligible thoughts and ideas. Now many people in the churches round about us think that God speaks to them in feelings. They go to church and they sing and someone's very inspirational and they get all sorts of wonderful feelings. They get a warm fuzzy glow and nothing wrong with that per se but that's not what God wants to do. He wants us to understand him. Therefore, he speaks to us in intelligible thoughts and words. And, and therefore, to, we must go to the Bible. There's nowhere else to go to find out about him. A nice walk in the country is very nice. And we might feel a bit closer to God amongst his creative world. Of course we do. But we're not going to learn an awful lot about him. We might think, well, you know, he must be powerful. He must be a wonderful God. Look at the beauty he's made. And those are all good things. But that's as far as we'll get. We must come to the word of God. It's fundamental. Absolutely important. John chapter 1, the very beginning of John's gospel starts, if you know it. Uh, in the beginning was the word. You think, why does he start in that way? Because it's everything. It's the most important thing in God's spiritual work. That's what, we're, that's what we're interested in, his spiritual work. His created work is out there and, that, and, and he's created it and sustains it and it keeps going incredible as it is and it's a wonderful thing and so are our bodies. But it's his spiritual work which is the most important thing to him. That's why all the rest is here. That's what we've got to get our heads around. Now, the word of God is fundamental then now what about the holy spirit and the word well this is where the holy spirit comes in really because as that passage there's a very famous passage one many of us know it very well basically saying that the people who spoke god's word in this case the prophets in the old testament and the new testament were men who spoke not their own words they spoke the words of god how God moved them by his Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is what God uses, if you like, it's his power, to put it in a simple way. It's his power by which he causes men to speak his words. And, and therefore, um, well, as this next passage shows, in fact, all scripture has come by the inspiration of God. Um, another famous, well-known passage. So the scriptures, which we call the Bible, here they are. We have it in our hand. The, this isn't, these are not the words of men. They were written down by men, but they're the words of God through, if you like, divine inspiration. If you want to use a, a big phrase. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit of God has been used to convey his words to men. So that's a couple of fundamental things. Now, when we get to the New Testament, and I'll say now that most of my address is to do with the New Testament. That doesn't mean to say the Holy Spirit's not in the Old Testament. It is. Um, but it's a real big New Testament subject. And in fact, the teaching of the Holy Spirit develops in the New Testament. And the word spirit is used in a whole bunch of different ways some of which we're going to look at this evening. One of the reasons for this talk, I suppose, is that in Christendom as a whole, in the other churches round about us, there's a lot of error taught about the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to understand 
what's right and what's wrong on this subject. Now, in the New Testament, um, God uses, uh, in the scriptures, in the New Testament uh, books, the word spirit um, is used in a sort of shorthand. It's probably easy to give you an example. Here we are, look. We read this today, it's in our New Testament reading. The Spirit said to Philip, Philip's one of the uh, apostles sent out to preach. The Spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to the chariot. Now, in fact, that's Jesus speaking to him in reality. But the scripture just says, the Spirit said. And quite often you find this, because Jesus spoke to him using the Spirit, it simply says... The Spirit said to him, but the Spirit isn't a separate person like some people believe. It's simply a shorthand way of saying that Jesus spoke to him by the Holy Spirit. Here's another one in Acts 13. The Holy Spirit said, separate Barnabas and Saul. I've got a special work for them. This is before Paul's first missionary journey. Um, and again, it says the Holy Spirit said. All it means is that Jesus spoke to the apostles by uh, the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in the New Testament, as we shall see, because of the Holy Spirit gifts, it, it was little different if a man said, the Spirit said this to me, or if he said, Jesus said this to me, or if he said, God said this to me. It all meant the same. It didn't really matter. It's just terminology. And terminology is important and we need to get our heads around it. If you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you open your Bibles please. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. To a section here where the Apostle is using the word spirit. And the word spirit here, particularly in the Apostle, in the works of the Apostle Paul becomes a sort of shorthand for the mind of God. Um, and this passage sort of says that. Well, it does say that, but it, it uses somewhat complicated language, you might feel, to begin with. Let's pick it up in verse 9. As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, nor did entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. This is a lovely verse from Isaiah talking about the, the kingdom to kingdom of God which is yet to come saying there's a wonderful things that God has um, got in store for us um, and we can't imagine them and that's why it says I have not seen or ear heard verse 10 but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit so these wonderful things about the kingdom of God God has revealed to them them to us says Paul and he's done it by his spirit and then he says, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What man, he says, knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man that is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. In other words, he's saying, um, we've all, in our minds, we've, we've got things in there which only we know. They're our innermost thoughts. And, and God has the same. He has a mind and he has thoughts in it, obviously. And some of them are quite deep and spiritual things. And he says, but God is revealing the things of God's mind to us. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? That the God of heaven and earth 
The Almighty wants to share his thoughts and his mind with us. But he does. And he does it through his word. But here he says it's through the Spirit. The Spirit of God becomes a phrase which simply means God's thoughts and God's mind. Um, look at verse, uh, verse uh, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in word, words that man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Spirit teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So there's a, there's a few difficult things in there, but something that's pretty obvious and is easy to understand in verse 13 is that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. See what it says there? But that which the Holy Spirit teacheth. So God wants to reveal his mind. He wants to teach us. And he's doing it by his Holy Spirit. That's how he is conveying his thoughts uh, to us. Now there's a few other things in there. You notice look in verse um, 13. No big pardon verse 12. He says we received not the spirit of the world. What's he mean? What's the spirit of the world? If the spirit of God are the things about God's mind and his thoughts, what's the spirit of the world? Well, the spirit of the world is the way the world thinks. Right? Or rather, most people in the world. Most people in the world are bothered about material things about their own lives and pleasures and money and all those things that people are concerned with, God calls that the spirit of the world, right? The ideas, the thinking of the world, the mind of the world. But when it comes to God, it's the spirit of God. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, I think I've got a, a little table here, look. Here we are. That's typical of a contrast which the Apostle Paul quite often uses when talking of um, the things of the world and the things of God. We've got the carnal mind and the spiritual mind. When he says carnal, it just means natural. It's an old-fashioned word. The natural mind, that's the way we would think if we hadn't applied our minds to the word of God. So we've got the carnal mind, the spiritual mind, spirit of the world, spirit of God, Here's another one, the things of the flesh versus the things of the spirit. The things of the flesh simply means the things that most people are worried about, the things that most people are interested in, material things. Um, the th and he calls those the things of the flesh. But the things of the spirit are the things to do with God, his character, his purpose. We were talking about this this morning. These are the, these are the eternal things. The things about the kingdom of God and salvation. These are the things of the spirit. And then we've got, uh, lastly, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. So again, this is the apostles' language and we have to try to uh, get our heads uh, around that. Um, there's an interesting one, look. These are the words of Jesus. The spirit quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. What does he mean? Well, he's saying that the words, Jesus' words, 
were God's words. He was a prophet, like the other prophets. Well, more than a prophet, in fact. Uh, but the words he spoke were the words of God, and he calls them spirit. They're living things, in a sense. In the sense that if we take them into ourselves and understand them, and take them to our hearts and live by them, they make us come alive uh, in God's eyes. We become changed people. That's what God's about. He wants to change us. He wants to turn our minds from worldly minds to spiritual minds, to his mind. Okay, I'll probably labour that a bit. Um, now, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. We've read a little bit about that. And this is quite important because it's a big topic in the New Testament, the pouring out of the Spirit. Now, why pouring out? Well, in the Old Testament, God gave his Holy Spirit to various prophets um, and they spoke God's word some, and some wrote them down. So we have some of the books by some of the prophets and some are little books, some are really big books, you know, uh, Isaiah's about... 66 chapters if I remember rightly uh, and really when Jeremiah is a similar whacking great chunk others are only small um, so God has, has given his spirit in the past a bit here and a bit there and a bit here and now when it comes to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament this is after Jesus has gone to heaven he says I'm going to pour out my spirit well if you pour something out you're pouring quantity that's how I read it and he's going to pour it out in a way he's never done before. Not just a few people here and there, few in this one in this generation, other in that generation. He's going to pour it out on literally hundreds, if not thousands of people are going to become recipients of, well, something to do with the Holy Spirit, as, as we shall see. Um, now, um, back in Mark chapter 16, before Jesus had... Um, risen from the dead uh, sorry before Jesus had gone to heaven he gave a commission to his apostles to go into all the world and preach you can look at it if you want to it's Mark 16 16 that's always easy to remember Mark 16 16 well 15 for connection he said to his apostles go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned so He's saying, I'm going to heaven and I've got a great work for you 11 apostles. It became 12 when they replaced Judas, of course. Now, I want you to think now, these 12 men, 12 good men, 12 men who have witnessed amazing things in the life of Jesus. They've been with him for three and a half years or so. They've seen all the miracles he's done. They've listened to his words. They've been mightily impressed by this man. They're convinced he is the son of God. He is their saviour. He, uh, he died for their sins. God has raised him from the dead. They've actually seen him and handled him, as we said this morning. Convinced men. Men who could be witnesses of what they had seen and heard. Men who could go out there and convince other men and women that this was true. They must listen. They must understand about Jesus of Nazareth. They must be baptised and believe and be saved. Now, that's what he asked them to do. Twelve men. Good men. What were their resources to do that? They were going to go out into the temple in Jerusalem. 
full of Pharisees and scribes and priests who were all against them and wanted them dead. They, went, they were going into a hostile world. And when, it, when they went out to the Gentiles, into the Roman Empire, it was just as hostile. You had all the idolaters, you know, who, who believed in their own gods and they didn't want another god. They didn't want anything, to, they didn't want, didn't want to know about this Jesus of Nazareth. It was a hostile environment they were going to preach in. What were their resources? What did he have? Well, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New. They didn't even have one gospel, not one. We've got four. They, and we forget this sometimes, that they had nothing of the New Testament at all. So what were they going to say about Jesus? Well, I suppose what they could remember, but if the memories are anything like mine, it wouldn't be very good, you know? And they had their own experience, their own testimony, and that was it. Do you think they would have turned the world upside down? I don't think so. It needed something more. God needed to help them, didn't he? he they, needed, they needed some dynamite under there to make a big impression immediately. And in effect, that's what the Holy Spirit, the pouring out the Holy Spirit did. It enabled them, well, we've just read it, haven't we, in Acts chapter 2. Um, let's... Let's go and uh, have a look at that, shall we, very quickly. Acts chapter 2. Jesus had been teaching them for six weeks and now he's gone to heaven. And uh, he's told them, the twelve, to stay in Jerusalem because he'd already told them that they were going to receive, what he called it, power from on high. You're going to receive a special power, in other words, and we know, of course, it was that the Holy Spirit gift. So Acts 2, verse 1, they were all together on, uh, in Pentecost when it was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly they came from a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. So the sound of wind, it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared cloven tongues like fire and it sat on each of them. That's an interesting symbol, isn't it? cloven tongues well this is this is fiery tongues if you can imagine such a thing well why well because the tongue speaks words so this is all to do with communication isn't it now fiery tongues fire often used in scripture for um oh to make big changes sometimes it's used of judgment i think here it means that it's powerful Right, powerful words, fiery tongues, uh, and it sits upon each of them. And verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. So these men were now able to speak in different languages. That was impressive straight away and practical, of course, because many of the Jews who were in Jerusalem then were from other parts of the Roman Empire and didn't actually speak the same language, interestingly. Um, so being able to speak in other languages and preach in other languages was a massive help to them straight away. But that's only one. That was more of the sort of showy gifts and, and, and things which people would be amazed by. Um, but more important was the fact that they were able to speak these men, some of whom were actually uneducated men. You know, not all of them, but but some of them were were relatively uneducated. And yet, 
straight away they are able not just to remember their own experiences with Jesus, they are able to expound the scriptures. Um, a bit further down the chapter it says they were speaking the wonderful works of God. Um, fortunately I can't actually put my, uh, my finger on that verse. Oh, is it verse 7? Thanks. 11. Oh, 11 is it? Yes. That's it. It says, look, Cretes, Arabians, all these different people from all over the Roman Empire, Jews, we do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. Now, we haven't time to look at it now, but if you were to analyse the rest of Acts chapter 2, most of it is the preaching of Peter, the apostle. And he goes all over the Old Testament, the Psalms, particularly explaining and expounding how Jesus was the Messiah. And, and he's able to remember things and he's able to show things in a way there's no way he could have done without the help of the Holy Spirit to, to help him. And it's all to do with words, it's to do with knowledge and it's to do with understanding. Um, and the result is in verse 39... Uh, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord your God shall call. Uh, and then it says in verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptised and there was added about 3,000 souls. So this is a massive response to their preaching. 3,000 in one day. Makes you wonder how on earth they managed to manage that uh, that work, nice problem to have. Um, and it wouldn't have happened, I suggest, without the miraculous power um, of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had already promised that this was coming. Oh, we, we've just read that, so we don't need to go back to that. The promise of the Spirit. Now, come to John chapter 14, if you would. Jesus had already talked about the Holy Spirit gifts and he'd done it in, uh, he'd spoken to them about this before his crucifixion and he'd started already to talk to them about going away and they were all very sad when he, uh, when he said he was going to go away which isn't surprising, they'd been with him, he'd been with them for three and a half years as we say and he'd been their guide, their mentor, their teacher you know, their comforter, their, their, he'd explained everything to them. They, 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 they put their whole trust in him as saviour and messiah. And now he's speaking about going away. So not surprisingly, they're a bit confused and sad. Verse 26. Jesus says, The comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So he's going to go away. They're going to feel bereft and abandoned and a bit helpless. Jesus said, don't worry about that. I'm going to send you a comforter. Um, I think the word has to do with um, like an advocate who would be a man who would stand next to you in court and speak on your behalf, a bit like we'd have a, a lawyer or someone, you know, to, to, to speak for us in court. Uh, and the idea is he'd, be, he'd stand next to you and would reassure you and help you to speak your case. Well, in the same way, 
Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will be like that. It'll be like having me there, in effect. Uh, and notice the very practical use it would be, verse 26. Um, he, well, first of all, I'll send him in my name. So this is Jesus now will be speaking to them through the Holy Spirit. And then he says, he shall teach you all things. Here's the Holy Spirit, the great teacher. Uh, and will bring all things to remembrance. So that's that would be good because men have got bad memories and uh, this would immediately uh, encourage them to think that anything that Jesus had said to them, they would be able to remember. The Holy Spirit would help them to remember. Um, right, that's um, chapter 14. If you just come across to chapter 16, Jesus says, a few more things about the Holy Spirit. Um, now, so chapter 16 and uh, picking up at verse 7. Now, some of these things are tricky to understand. So we won't be able to explain all of it. And I'm probably not the best one anyway. But we'll, you'll be able to pick up some of this. Verse 7. I tell you the truth, said Jesus, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, one thing to notice is that quite often when Jesus speaks to the Holy Spirit, he uses a personal pronoun. He calls him him. Now, that causes a little bit of problem because people who believe the Trinity will say, Ah, oh, there you go, you see. Uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit is called him. It's a separate person. That, that's nonsense. Um, he's not a separate person. But you still got to ask the question, why does he use the phrase him? Why does he say him? Now, it may be a textual, grammatical thing. I, I, would, I really wouldn't want to uh, be dogmatic about that. But even if it is him, I don't find a problem with this. Remember we've said this would be just like having Jesus next to them. He's called the Comforter. So he is personally personified. Um, anyway, so it's not surprising Jesus might use the personal pronoun. It'd be like having a person to help them, to teach them, to help them to remember. Yeah, uh, just as he used to be. Um, in fact, in one place, Jesus actually said, I will come unto you. He says, the Holy Spirit will come. The spirit of truth will come. And then he says, I will come. So Jesus talks of himself in effect as coming back to them, but in, in the form of these Holy Spirit gifts. Anyway, um, where are we? Verse 7. Uh, verse 8. When he has come, that's the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Well, I, I suggest to you this is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in preaching here. The world is going to be reproved by the preaching of the apostles. It's going to be taught righteousness by the preaching of the apostles and also about judgment. Um, but we won't go in any further in that. It's a, bit, bit, a little bit deep. Um, now, if you come down to verse, um, verse 30, verse 12. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he is come, the spirit of truth. Ah, oh, there's another phrase. Not met that one yet, have we? So here he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. Now, why the spirit of truth? 
because you're about to rely on it. Now, you know, if I tell you something, then hopefully it'd be right. But, you know, depending on what I'm talking about, I might actually be quite inaccurate. Well, not be very good. If it's anything to do with my memory, it'd be rubbish, right? But here is the spirit of truth will speak to them. Absolutely no doubt about the veracity and the accuracy of what the spirit would tell. They could rely on it implicitly. Now, that was very useful. More useful than perhaps we think. Because in the days of the apostles, there were other people, other so-called apostles going around saying I've had a message from Jesus Jesus said this he did this and in fact they were false you know for one reason or another um, and they're actually called in the New Testament false apostles now the Holy Spirit would would be able to show them who was true and who was false and that would be a very useful thing um, Verse 13, again, just to finish it off, he will guide you. Look at that in the end of, middle of verse 13. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever thing he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. Those that, that's prophecy. So there's another, another aspect to the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 14 he shall glorify me verse 15 all things that the father hath are mine therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you in other words Jesus is, is saying in a sense he said everything I know of the mind of God I'm going to tell it you I'm going to share it with you also you're you're going to be party to, to what I know and that's what the that New Testament is the New Testament is a collection of books and letters that God has brought together to fully explain the gospel, the, all the things to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, some wonderful, not just four gospels, four separate, different accounts of the life and work of Jesus, but books like Romans, the exposition of the gospel, quite deep things, Hebrews, Really weighty, weighty things these are. Uh, and the book of Revelation. Uh, big things to do with God and his um, revelation to men. Right, uh, I want to finish in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, th these... No, hang on a minute, we've missed something here. We've missed something here and that is a useful... There we are. Um, I've just put that chart together there, that list really, as a list of some, it's not, it's not by any means complete, some of the, the <coughs> gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've majored very much on revelation and teaching here, but there are other things that the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to do. Now we've talked about the preaching of the apostles. Goodness me. That was a smashing time, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but that was just the preaching. When they preached, they would, they would set up ecclesias, groups of believers together, or churches if you like, and they would need organising. How are they to know what to do and how to do it? The Holy Spirit would help them. 
help them to preach. And I put exhortation there. Now, this morning I stood up on here and the brother said, Brother Martin's going to give us our exhortation now. Well, I'd actually taken, I'd used my scriptures before, Old and New Testament, and I'd made some notes and, and presented it here. That's not what they did in the New Testament times. Before the New Testament was written, what did they do? Well, a brother would be given an exhortation by the Spirit. He would have one from the Spirit and he'd stand up and be able to give. And he'd be able to explain the Old Testament. He'd be able to remember some of the things that Jesus had said and be able to exhort his brothers and sisters from the Spirit directly. The gift of exhortation, guidance. We've talked about memory, recall, explanation. That's ex being able to expound the scriptures. Checking the inspiration claims of others. Mentioned the false apostles and miracles. There were some miracles, actually, although they're not spoken of that much, actually, in the Acts of the Apostles. But um, they were able to heal, even to raise the dead. Um, so that, that just give you an idea. And the, the whole purpose of this is to establish then ecclesias in Christ, Christian communities in a hostile and difficult uh, Jewish and Roman world. And that's the necessity um, for the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, the New Testament. We've already mentioned that. That's... Um, that's, the New Testament is the product of the Spirit, if you like. Right, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, we try to put it in context that the Holy Spirit was to establish the New Testament ecclesias. Once that was done, and in particular, I suggest, once the New Testament documents had been brought together and brothers and sisters had the full revelation of God old and new then the Holy Spirit gifts were withdrawn now there's a lot of Christians um, out there who, who don't like this they like to think they can still have all these gifts of the Holy Spirit um, but that's not the case um, uh, they say, oh, I, I go to church and uh, the Holy Spirit fills me with peace and joy and love and, and all the other Christian virtues. Uh, the, the, the scriptures don't teach this. God has never worked like that. He doesn't fill people with love just like that. We are filled with love by an understanding of the love of Christ, which we take and understand. And receive into our hearts and minds. And the appreciation and thankfulness that we get from understanding the love of Christ. Makes us lovely people. Well I hope it does. It should do. That's how it works. And it's the same with all the Christian virtues of peace. You know to, to feel the peace of God. We don't just pray to God and say fill me with peace. But many of them believe that. That's not what the spirit does. We feel the peace of God when we understand things like reconciliation and forgiveness. When we believe these things from the heart and when we thank God for them, then we feel the peace of a union with Christ and knowing we are one with God. That's where peace comes from. You see, people 
These days want everything quick, don't they? And, and this device here is probably partly responsible for that. You know, you can get anything on here, can't you? You know, Mr. Google will tell you the answer to anything within a few microseconds. You know, so everybody, people think they get everything quickly. It doesn't work with the things of God. We don't get love, joy and peace by just going to one meeting and coming away and feeling wonderful. It doesn't work like that. It's not. If people have that experience, I'm not saying that they don't, but it's not the spirit that's done it. If we want to know and understand what it means to have the, the, the peace of God and the love of God and joy and all these things, it is through the spirit, but we must apply ourselves to the word of God. That's, that's, this is the spirit of God. We must apply ourselves. It's not quick fix. And bit by bit, as we, as we read, and I know some of you are, you're reading, and you must continue to do that, and to understand and build up that understanding. And the more you do, the closer you are getting to God. The more you are getting to know Christ and his mind and how he thinks. And bit by bit by bit, that mind of the Spirit will develop in us and become a very strong uh, thing in our lives and eventually will bring us salvation and eternal life. I've probably gone and uh, blown my time on this now. <laughs> this is really the only passage that, I can th that we know in the New Testament which actually talks about the New Testament gifts. Um, we haven't actually read it, have we? Let's have a look at it. 1 Corinthians 13, it's very quickly. And... Um, Pick it up. I haven't time to explain why the context of this is as it is, but it, um, but um, if you look at verse nine, for instance, of First Corinthians thirteen, Corinth was an ecclesia where it had lots of spirit gifts, lots and lots of them, and they were very good at it and a lot of a lot of capability there, uh, but unfortunately they sort of misused them a bit, and there was some immaturity there. Which, which the Apostle is dealing with in this chapter. Uh, but he says here in verse 9, we know in part, we prophesy in part. He's talking of the gifts of knowledge and revelation and the gift of prophecy. He says, you know, we have a bit here, we have a bit there, but it's still fragmented, he says. It's a wonderful thing, these spirit gifts, but they're still fragmentary. Verse 10, when that which is perfect or complete is come, that which is in part shall be done away. And personally I believe that's the full revelation of God in the scriptures as we have them now, both Old and New Testament. Um, verse 12. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now it's very tempting to think, wouldn't it be great if we had these spirit gifts, eh? Well, it would be good in a sense. I mean, I could go out into the middle of Glasgow and probably speak Glaswegian and they'd understand me. <laughs> but more appropriate, I could go into Europe and speak different languages and that would greatly help our preaching effort. We could do miracles and convince people, perhaps. And, and you think, oh, yeah, that'd be great. But what we don't realise is what we've actually got. Our New Testament brothers and sisters would have given their right arm for our New Testament and we forget it. What they had was 
was, in a sense, exciting and must have given them great boldness to know that Jesus was speaking through them. And it would do, wouldn't it? Of course it would. But in terms of understanding, we have more than they had. And that's worth thinking about. Um, and, and we must... We don't value what we have. That, that's part of the problem, isn't it? You know, I can go to any bookshop and pick up any number of translations of this book for a few quid. You know? And it's dead easy, isn't it? It's there. And almost, wherever in the world I go, I could do the same. It's so available, it's so cheap, it's so easy that we forget what we have here is the mind of Almighty God. And he wants us to he wants us to know that mind. And that's what we've got to do. So um, what did that slide say? I think that was it. That was it, yes. So the final appeal really is to the word. It has to be. It's it's everything. It's our lifeblood spiritually. It's the dynamite behind God to change us from natural mortal creatures to turn us into men and women who he can love, who he can work with, who he can call his children, who he can give eternal life to in his kingdom and live with them. <laughs> that's mind-blowing, isn't it? But that's the truth. To the word of God then. Keep it up, keep reading and keep understanding.